Welcome back, everyone, to the latest episode. And before I get into the details, I have to let you know that it is brought to you by my good friend, Laura Lee Smith. If you're in the market to buy or sell a home in the Bryan, College Station, Texas, or surrounding areas, look no further than Laura Lee. She's honest, trustworthy, and she's the hardest working real estate agent I've ever been around. And those are three things you're going to need if you want to make it such a big investment in your future as buying a home. See why? We used Laura Lee to get in our first home and absolutely enjoyed every bit of the process. Her number is 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. If you want to support the podcast directly, monetarily, go to 95adventures.com and check it out. We have two coffee blends and a bison coffee mug with the logo on the side. The coffee blends are original and weekend getaway. The weekend getaway has blueberry and floral notes and it's really delicious. The original, it's solid and it's always going to be good. We love coffee. That's why we decided to make it. And so if you want to support it, you like what you hear, you'll get something out of it and help the podcast grow as well. If you want to support it in other ways for free of charge, then like, rate, review, and share the episodes that you enjoy. It really means a lot to us and really helps it grow. So appreciate each and every one of you that downloaded the episode and listens to the podcast. This is a very special one, a really cool one. I enjoyed this conversation so much with Leah Bartow. She's part of the Birth Fit program and runs it in the Houston area. And really, it's not about just women being pregnant and being fit, and you'll hear as you hear in the podcast, but really, it's about families all together. It's about the couples. It's about raising the kid, about what to do uh, before, during, and after pregnancy, not just as a single individual, but as an entire family. So I really enjoyed everything. And And really enjoyed how they're changing a culture and the way people think about things. I think we can all just benefit from it. Anyway, I'll stop talking and let Leah do the rest of the telling of what she does and what's behind BirthFit. So please enjoy Leah Bartow. There we go. That easy. Thank you so much for being on, Leah. This is. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is. uh, I'm actually really excited. Just. to fill everybody in, we were having a conversation now just before I hit record, and uh, I got real excited, and I just, I had to say, hold on, I don't want to lose any of this, these wonderful nuggets that we're talking about um, in the thing, but you do, I guess, explain to people what BirthFit really is to, like, to start out the podcast. Yeah, so BirthFit, in a nutshell, is a kind of empowering educational platform um, that is evolved through four pillars. So we empower and educate on fitness, on nutrition, on mindset around parenthood transition, and then on connection, which um, I can lead into in a bit. But we kind of use those platforms through in-person experiences, online education, and things like that to um, inform, empower, educate parents, men, women all over to do research and to understand that there's more than what's being, you know, regularly fed or maybe even lack of information out there. And the goal is to just, you know, change birth in America and change birth in the world and better outcomes and lower cesarean rates and um, basically give women and birthing, you know, parents, partners, um, a platform to, make more decisions around something that is truly theirs and like not let it be taken by the medical world or just lack of information. I was about to like, that just hit my head when you were talking right now about the, the medical world. And that's really all we have to base anything off of is what doctors will tell you. And Mm. I just know like from seeing different ladies uh, do different things like exercise or walk or, uh, whatever they do, whatever they eat, they actually pay attention to their nutrition. The ones that don't, uh, just as as a male from the outside observing it and seeing the differences in the the women and maybe the combination between that and postpartum depression afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but one was listening directly to what a doctor's orders were like. You can't do X, Y, and Z. You have to do this. It's not safe um, because I think partly because they have to at least. That's what I'm putting together for liability reasons. And then 
the, uh, you know, just like new parents, I would, I would think, you know, having three kids, it, you get scared with the first one, you know, it's like, Oh, be careful, coddle this. And, you know, thankfully my mom was an RN, so it was different for me. But at the same time, that's all people have to go off of is whatever the doctor will tell them. Yeah. There's a lot of blanket statements and outdated information. Um, and it's very similar to like, you know, I own a gym. So it's like, we've got people coming in who have been following our nutrition advice and they're like, I saw my doctor and these levels were high. So they put me on this and I look at the date at the bottom and it's a nutrition plan from, um, like 83. <laughs> and it's like, really? Um, so it, it's kind of the same thing. You know, it takes a long time for information to make it from someone's brain to a textbook. And, um, it's actually, it's so interesting that like, yeah, we still, I still have women come to me and say, my doctor told me not to lift more than 20 pounds or to get my heart rate above 120 to 140. And it's like, well, um, I'm not going to tell you not to listen to your doctor, but let's just, let's just talk about a few things. So first off in labor, your heart rate's going to exceed 120 to 140. And we should probably make sure that that's not the first time it happens in 10 months. Um, secondly, you know, a car seat plus a newborn and a diaper bag, like you're going to exceed 20 pounds pretty quickly. Um, so we can either train for life and do it intelligently, or we can, you know, sit here and know that it's probably going to be more of a negative than it is a positive. Um, the other thing is that like ACOG, the actual college of obstetrics and gynecology that kind of governs birth and these decisions, um, they've updated their stance on exercising and their literature actually suggests exercising in pregnancy. And we still have doctors that are discouraging it, even though we know that the research and the evidence shows that a healthier, more fit pregnancy elicits better, quicker and more effective birth, but also a healthier baby. Do you think that the reason they discourage it is because like my thought process is that it's a liability to them that if they say it's okay, that woman can come back and sue them or the family can come back and sue. Um, so they're playing it safe or do you think that they're just kind of stuck in that reactive, reactive mode where they just react to problems that they've had, like that they know about? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, like obviously a doctor always in any statement, you've got to cover your tail. Um, but I think it's also a lack of information. I'm, I'm good friends with an OB here in Houston who, um, is incredible. She's actually a birth fit professional herself. And she talks about like the things that she learned in obstetric school and med school, um, compared to like, like information on why exercise is important or how to eat during pregnancy. Like she didn't really learn any of that. So I think it's just a lack of information and tools that they're given. It's like, here's the textbook, here's the things you need to know to pass the test. But they're missing so much. And I think that's kind of our goal is like, hey, the information and the research is out there. It's just not, you know, being taught in school. Therefore, it's not being trickled down. And you actually have to go and find this for yourself. Yeah, and that and that can be the, the I mean, where do you look, you know? Um, like, where do you go? Like, I mean, I'm thankful that I'm involved with a community that where, you know, this pops up birth fit, like the name comes across, um, Mm -hmm. uh, even all the way, like the deuce gem people and all them, that's where I, I noticed the name first. So it's kind of like, if you're involved in the fitness realm of any sort, you know, looking around, you get to see this birth fit come up. But if you're not involved in kind of this underground fitness community, then I can see where, and even then, even if you're involved in it, you still may not know the name. Um, Yeah, I think, like, so much of it is, you know, having exposure to the right people, but, you know, not everyone is there. And I think what I often hear when I teach seminars or when I, you know, teach birth education is I hear the sigh of relief from women in particular that are like, man, I felt like I knew these things all along and I just needed someone to say it to like reassure. And so I feel like birth is this innate part of who we are. Like it's the one thing we've done since the very beginning of time. And I think that we have more of the answers or at least more like motherly intuition than we give ourselves credit for, but we're waiting for the professional or someone we love and trust to 
validate that for us. So, you know, a big piece of my advice is, is always like turning inward, like, does it seem right? Does it feel like this is the right thing to do? And if you have hesitation, even if my doctor is telling me one thing and like, it just doesn't seem right or like it's right for me, like that's where we're pushing to, you know, ask the tough questions or ask, you know, find someone that you look up to or who is doing it different and like have those tough conversations because usually your intuition and your red flags are showing up for a reason. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it would seem like to me, uh, and this is such a fun conversation too, being, being a male talking about this and being totally interested in it is, is kind of fun. Actually, I'm listening back and forth because it's, it gives, it's giving me kind of a little bit of a different perspective on, um, what, like what goes on, just even doing the little research and reading up on birth fit a little bit more. Um, but I think, from what it seems like and the from the outside is a lot of that fear-based stuff is they, they think, oh, I, maybe it's just a want. Like I want to go move or I want to eat this or I want to eat that and I want to keep this this lifestyle. But the doctor says no. So out of their fear of messing something up, you know, because it's such a big ordeal. Like there's a baby growing inside of you, mm-hmm. you know, a human – so they don't do it out of fear of that. They think it's more they they push it back as more of a want than they do than it is a a um, good thing for them. Right, like a necessity, and that's yeah. where I think like with birth fit, is it's like you know most of this information isn't inherently ours. We have just spent the time doing the research and putting it out there and finding like-minded individuals who you know can write blogs and. Uh, you know, site research articles that aren't going to just pop up on your feed. And um, it's finding a platform like that. And like you said, it's hard when like, you're just not immersed in that community. Um, But you know, it's like I said, there's, you know, midwifery and things like that, that have been around forever longer than, you know, midwives were delivering babies before doctors were. And typically there's birth centers and there's resources where, they have medical exposure, but they also have a different view and a different perspective. And I think it's so important that regardless of what you believe or, you know, feel is the one way to do things that you explore other things or other methods, because you'll probably learn something along the way that you can bring with you no matter what you choose or how you choose to birth or carry your pregnancy or anything like that. Yeah. So, I know you were talking about earlier and we haven't even touched on the really like the fitness side of it, but you were saying that, you know, most people think that birth fit is exercising while you're, while you're pregnant Mm -hmm. and it's, and which I'm guilty of there too, a little bit, you know, I knew it was a little more than that. There was a philosophy behind it. Um, just like there is most everything, but, um, most people when they see it, it's just like, Oh, it's fitness while you're pregnant. And then after reading up on it, it's way more like it's way more intense. In fact, that's just like a small little portion of the whole package. And I can just kind of let you explain it because I just know from what I've read on it. And obviously yeah. you're on here cause you're the expert on it, but um, <laughs> explain a little bit about what all goes into like the mental side of it is some of that I read uh, that I really was intrigued about. Um, and then even the, and we can get into it, the whole process really. So I'll just let you kind of take off from there. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, with four pillars, like fitness is important, movement and exercise and pregnancy is important, but, um, the whole mindset around it is probably like the most important thing, whether it's, you know, mindset around fitness, whether it's mindset about nutrition. Um, but what we really try to do is just facilitate a place where, you can let go of fear and make decision out of, you know, your intuition and what you feel is right. Or like we like to say, making decisions out of love rather than fear. And in order to do so, um, we have to be open to information and we also have to be open to exploring things that, um, aren't mainstream or common or, you know, that maybe my mom didn't do, or my friend circle isn't doing. So, um, you know, we start in the preconception period. Actually, you know, we start even before that. So we have, you know, a program called Training With Your Cycle. And it's really just encouraging the female to tune in a little bit more to her body 
And, you know, we call the female cycle like the fifth vital sign and understanding, you know, the different phases of my cycle and how I feel and, um, you know, kind of monitoring that into preconception because knowing my cycle is going to give me, you know, a more um, ideal place to conceive from. And so then in preconception, you know, we're focusing on how are we nourishing our bodies? Are we taking care of rest? Are we doing everything? Like, are we giving our body everything that we can in order to, you know, let this conception happen? Um, because as we find out, like pregnancy is not as easy as just, you know, doing the thing <laughs> once and then waking up tomorrow with a positive test, you know, sometimes. Um, but I think, you know, we're told our whole lives, like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. And you have this feeling that like, oh, it must be so easy. You know, maybe when you're 13, it is. Um, but when you're 30 and you're trying and it doesn't happen right away, like then we hit a panic mode. Um, so it's just like learning your body, your cycle, and, um, you know, some of that's nutrition, but some of that's mindset and eliminating stress or having self-care rituals or, you know, meditations, guided breathing, the ability to downregulate, kind of just facilitating a space for the female to start really getting in the mindset and headspace for carrying life inside of her and so we get into the prenatal period and that's where like society has just steered us in such a wrong direction because how often is it that you know we we view this pregnant pregnant woman that has a bump um we see her like grabbing all of her groceries and picking something up and we're like hey let me get that for you or be careful um, or we see them in the gym and it's like, you should really slow things down. Like, are you sure you should be here? And we're almost like treating her as fragile. You know, and, and when it comes uh, to that, like as a man on, on my, like on my side, I would do that with it, like any woman. Cause that's the way my dad brought me up, Of course, um, you know? And so, uh, but I do, if I, if I saw a pregnant woman, I would obviously want to help her carry whatever, you know, not in a sense of from, from my standpoint, I don't know if that's from everybody else's, but for mine, it's more of like coming from a helping side than it is from a, uh, you can't do this because I know she can do it just fine. I mean, she's carrying a baby in her belly, but right. And I think, you know, I think there's a, a time and a place and a delivery of like, Hey, like I'm, you know, being the gentleman that I was raised to be, like, I'd love to help you versus you kind of going at it as like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, and there's, you know, there's obviously a difference there. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, that's kind of why I posed that question for two, two reasons. Like one, I was raised that way. Mm-hmm. And and so it's kind of ingrained in me uh, to see that and react to this. And then at the same, you know, it, with those feelings and at the same time, the differences between uh, like you shouldn't and not that like it's it's not okay or you're just being helpful. Right. And I think that it's also important to like express both sides of it of like, hey, I see that you're fully strong and capable of doing this, but I'd love to help you. And I think, you know, for me in pregnancy, one of the biggest things that I suggest and one of the biggest lessons I had to, to learn was to accept help. Because the, like, alpha type A in me is like, oh, no, I got this. I'm going to be offended by you asking versus being like, okay, this is coming from a place of love. And, like, sure, I could use the help. Um, but I think we have these, like, societal, like, you see, you know, a pregnant woman going hard at whatever she's doing. And, like, you're going to second glance that because we just have this, like, societal perception of, like, should she be doing that? is that okay? Or is it safe? And I think like the reality is, is like, Hey, our, our hearts are pumping like pretty much double the amount of blood and oxygen. She's basically the most superhuman version of herself that she's ever been. And then it's like this backwards mentality of, but now we have the baby and six weeks later, like you're cleared for sex and exercise, you know, wipe your hands up, you know, clean of having the baby and like return to life. And it's like, we've switched this like, hey, maybe that's when we should be treating her as more fragile and taking care of her versus like the other side of it on the prenatal. So just so I don't get too far ahead of myself, in that prenatal period, we are we are working on fitness, but we're also working on mindset around like 
our birth preferences. What do you want your birth to look like? What do you want it to feel like? Um, who do you want on your birth team? What's important for you? Um, who do you not want there? Um, and kind of just, you know, really getting into this mindset of like, I have power to, you know, declare the things that I prefer my birth to be like. And we know that we don't always get to make that call and we can always do the preparation and things end up wildly different. But if we're coming from a place of like, hey, I'm doing the research and I have the information to set me up for success um, versus like things going wrong on game day or not wrong, but maybe different on game day and feeling like a total failure because, I didn't know what else to do and one thing led to another and then I ended up having a birth experience that I'm, you know, just overall don't feel good about. Um, so that's kind of a mindset approach in the prenatal and then in the postpartum, it's kind of like, okay, you have carried life and your physiology has changed and you birthed the baby um, and like your society's going to tell you at six weeks that you're good to go. Um, but the reality is you're not. And emotionally, we need healing. We just went through like a very traumatic event, um, actually multiple. So we say at birth, there's, there's birth, there's death, and there's rebirth. And there's birth to a new life, your baby. There's death to your former self. And there's rebirth to your new self as a mother. And those are three very traumatic things that we can't just be silent on. Like we have to mourn and go through the processes um and express joy all in the same you know all in the same time like all of this is happening at once and we can't just expect physically emotionally for moms or families in general to be okay at six weeks so not only are we facilitating like a rehab protocol which is not a thing in america um unfortunately (laughs) but we're also creating a place for the mom to feel all the feelings and to, to come into her own as a mother. And that's not an easy thing. No, not at all. I mean, uh, you think about, you explained it so perfectly um, with your words there about, you know, the, the, the death and the rebirth and that whole process and only six weeks to come back from that. It's really a short amount of time. And to figure out like, how life's going to happen, especially nowadays where most women work and you've got daycare, you've got different things. I mean, all the way down to whether you're going to breastfeed or use formula, Mm. like all the decisions that you have to make as a mother and as a family together and you give them six weeks and you're like, okay, back in the game champ. Like, let's go. Yeah. Um, And I think, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose sight of like in, you know, in prenatal, like, I always say we are training for birth, like our mindset switches. So when we do bring fitness in, right, like we are, we have a nine, 10 month season, essentially. So if you think of like a baseball season, since that just ended, um, you know, how they're playing in, you know, training camp is different than, you know, the first half of the season versus how different they are in the playoffs or leading to the World Series. Like they don't, they don't play or practice or perform the way on day one that they will on day 280. Um, And there's specific, you know, nutrition and recovery and different things like that that will change throughout the course of that season. And pregnancy is no different. Um, We're training for birth, but with training for birth, we're also not neglecting the postpartum and we're, we're wrapping our minds around what does it look like when baby's here? In the immediate, what do I want it to look like, like in the first two hours when baby's here, but also, am I preparing for breastfeeding? Do I have resources available if it doesn't come easily? Because more often than not, it doesn't. And just like we have a birth team that's with us, whether that's husband, doula, chiropractor, OB, whatever that is, like, do we also have a postpartum team? So there's just so many things to think about that if a mom doesn't have like the support or the information available to her, she has no idea. Yeah. And how, like the postpartum team is very fascinating. What you just said. Um, you think about the people you surround yourself with and the, you know, the positive influences or the people that, you know, kick you in your butt when you need it, like the different kind of coaches that you might have, whatever it is, whatever you're doing. Um, that was just, that was that's a really that's a thing I didn't even think of either is the 
the people you surround yourself with after, you know, for the postpartum part that you trust and that may be a positive influence and that may understand some things and be able to deal with you in a certain way that benefits you to help you get out of that rut faster makes a huge difference, I imagine. Yeah, and if you think about postpartum and other cultures, I mean, it's, I mean, America, you mentioned, like, the reality is in America that most households need two incomes, and um, there's no federal paid maternity leave. We're guaranteed to have a job when we come back, but we're not guaranteed to get paid, so moms can't even afford sometimes to take their 12 weeks if they get 12 weeks, and there's, you know hardly any support on the patern on the on the dad side from the company and in other countries, you know, they'll get months with three quarters pay and things like that. But in other cultures it's also not uncommon that, hey, in the first, you know, thirty to ninety days, like mom doesn't really leave the house unless she wants to, but her tribe or her whether it's family members, women, like whoever of the community comes to serve her and feeds her, you know, healing, nourishing foods and takes care of baby. And like, there's this whole support team. And in America, we don't even have a rehab protocol for vaginal or cesarean birth. Um, And so we're just really doing women a disservice by saying at six weeks, you're good to go, but there's nothing to it. Whereas if you had ACL surgery at six weeks, you'd know exactly what you should be doing. Yeah, there's a whole plan. Like you have a written structure of things that you need to do to get that ligament and your knee working back correctly. Yeah, and it's like, okay, I'm in this machine and I'm doing this three times a day and I'm certainly not training for my half marathon. But then it's like, okay, you just birthed the baby or had major abdominal surgery and you just got cleared at six weeks and like sex should feel good again. You should enjoy that. And also, like, you should probably start your training to get to your pre-baby body weight. And it's like, that's not okay. And that's why, I mean, I should mention that America has the highest maternal mortality rate of industrialized countries. And that is included of that first, you know, that first phase of postpartum. And I think a lot of postpartum depression, women who unfortunately, you know, take their lives or are in severe depression in that time period, a lot of it is because they don't have the support team or the information to know that what they're going through is okay, but there's also things that we can do to help facilitate you through that process. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's a tough thing that I don't think, I mean, it's just kind of like depression, which is that gains ground or whatever, but nobody really knows what to do from the outside. Right. Like, I don't know, I, I can in theory, tell somebody with depression that, you know, hey, this is the way you got to do it. But how do I know? I don't have, you know, I don't have the same sort of depression that person has. So um, trying to get in their mindset and think the way they would think is is pretty hard for me to do to make an absolute on them. Yeah. And, and it's hard for the untrained person to even recognize that someone's going through it and they might not even know it. So they're not speaking up. And maybe, you know, husband is like, things aren't right, but it'll get better. This must be part of it. Versus, like I said, having like a postpartum team or people around you that are in constant communication to know that like, hey, this doesn't seem right. Or when I had this conversation, like this was brought up, like, let's look further into it or explore more. Because when it's uncharted territory, we just don't know better. Now, as birth fit people, do you walk them through it are you available to them whenever they reach out um like people uh, is it a program that you can buy into i mean how does it how does it work like that like how do you help them with this postpartum thing do you just explain to them ahead of time and get things in place beforehand are you there during after how's that process work a little bit of everything so just like we have you know, birth preferences and birth preference worksheets that we go through in our, in our birth fit prenatal series, which is like childbirth education. Um, within that series, we're also talking about postpartum and we're coming up with a postpartum preference worksheet, um, and things that they can share with those closest to them. And it's things that are like, you know, these are things that like fill me up. These are things that make me excited. If I'm saying these things or I'm doing these things, like these are people that you can contact that probably know me well and you know kind of things like that but in addition we are 
also just managing the mindset. So we're expecting that you're going through this huge transition and we're preparing on the prenatal side of like, hey, we're in season for birth. Our body is changing. This is why it's changing. This is what postpartum is going to look like. And like, guess what? We have recovery programs and protocols for you to get to a, you know, strong and, you know, whatever kind of place you want to be in in the postpartum, whether that's back into a training regimen or, you know, not having core dysfunction. Like we have those things in play, but we're going to need you to understand that it's a slow as fast process and we're going to walk through this process with you. So what that looks like is online programs. We have a postpartum training program. Um, is starting as early as three to four weeks. So we have a conscious core program that is for vaginal or cesarean births. There's one for each. Uh, you can start some just intentional breath work and awareness, and it also has a lot of good mindset and nutrition pieces in it. And then it goes into um, a 15-week postpartum program where you know we know that movement is going to typically make you feel better in general, and it's walking you through how you should feel and these are things that are appropriate and if you're not feeling this this is what we should do and then for in person um we basically have all of those kind of online platforms but in person so i do postpartum series and it's four weeks two times a week and it's a time for moms to come and express what's going on we start every day with discussion we end with discussion we have like self-love homework and it's like hey you're coming to move and to like set a new foundation but at the same time where I find more healing actually happens when they think they're coming for movement is like sitting in a circle and discussing with other women their birth plans or struggles that they're going through or maybe even like we talk about connection with your partner again and maybe it's like hey I was cleared for sex at six weeks and like that's not happening and knowing that like that's okay. You're not broken. Everyone else in the room said the same thing. And so there's like so many healing elements to just getting mom out of the house and talking to other women and understanding that she's not in it alone. And, and for, for this thing with the, the postpartum deal and like, how does a husband and a caring husband as well, not understanding it, not knowing what she's going through, trying his best to help. Like, what are some, do you help them with approaches into how to talk to them, where to direct their their energy, their mindset, uh, like to the humans that you know? Do they know the humans that deal with them better, and then they direct them to those people kind of in a loving way, um, like indirectly, or like how, how do you help them deal yeah, with deal with question. this deal, deal with this issue? Because I know me, I would want to like I would want to help them so bad, but also at the same time like i don't know just like the depression thing yeah. i don't i don't i don't know what they're going through yeah i think that so you know for in person things that we have when i say we do the prenatal series or the childbirth education like that's open to both partners and we encourage both to be there um, because we do talk a lot about those things and it also just opens up conversations that might not just happen you know naturally and like hey if this happens or this is what we can expect or you know, maybe dad doesn't even know that postpartum, like, oh, I have the happiest wife ever. Like, depression's not going to happen to her. And so it's just completely off their radar. And it kind of just gets them knowing um, that, like, hey, if this seems off or if this seems different, um, A, it's expected. Like, it's common. It's not normal. But you're going to want to reach out um, to a local professional or maybe someone who has access to different professionals and, like, maybe bring it up. Um, we also talk with the women about like, you know, ways to communicate to the partner, um, and bringing things up. And what we find is that the partner, like, like you said, really wants to love on them. And like, typically what I hear the husband say is like, she is like the most amazing human being ever. I just watched her birth our baby. She's the most beautiful version of herself she's ever been. But the mom is like, I feel soft and mushy and I'm stuck inside with a baby all day and my husband tells me how beautiful I am and all I can do is like look at him in disgust because mom doesn't love herself right now and so it's also understanding that like the reintegration period between 
let's just say husband and wife is like you're not just going to go straight back into like intimacy like like I said mom is rebirthed into this new version of herself and she has to learn to love herself before she can receive love from others and that includes like physical touch and so it's almost I'll, I'll be vulnerable here and just share and and you know the first time my husband and I decided that okay let's try um to have sex again like within 10 seconds I knew like it's not gonna happen um and I was like nope and immediately he's like let's stop and when we stopped instead of me walking away being like gosh like I feel so bad like something's wrong the words that he said were hey that was a really good starting point and like I needed to hear that because I needed to know that like he wasn't disappointed or he didn't expect more but it was like hey this is like a foundation of where we are and he totally understands that this is going to be a process of where we need to go so I think that's a long-winded version of how to answer it, but it's just kind of understanding that, like, if she's pushing you away or tough to get through, like, it's just giving her the time and space to fall in love with herself again and figuring out ways that you can work with her on that, and that's having tough conversations. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, your husband knows you, and, and he just spoke from the heart in that situation. And But the communication issue and the way you say it and the way you present it, what you're trying to get across seems so important um, at that at that particular time. Like communication with your partner. And um, I guess that would probably begin all, like start at the beginning, I guess I should say, with staying in constant communication and involved in the whole pregnancy part all the way through the end. And that way you understand a little more. Yeah. And I think those conversations for us, I mean, I'm a doula, like a birth doula and I attend births myself, but like I hired a doula, um, who's Lindsay Matthews. She's the founder and CEO of BirthFit. And she facilitated the, like, I didn't want to be in any other role during my birth except for the birthing person. And I didn't want to be the doula or the person who like had to tell myself what was coming next and try to calm myself down. Like I know that that wasn't like, I'm not meant to do that in my own birth. So having her on my team, we had prenatal consults and this is something I do with my clients, but we have those conversations on like, what are my fears or um, what are, Asia's fears, my husband's fears, and talking to each other through that, and what, like, how do I want my birth to look and feel, but also, like, in a perfect world, how does he want the birth to look and feel, and, like, starting those conversations, and then also, like, hey, you know, in tough, you know, physical, intense times, like, or you're dealing with pain, like, how do you do it? I go inward and I don't want anyone to talk to me. So like he needed to know in birth when that's happening, like, I don't hate you. I just don't want you to talk to me, you know? And so I think it helped set him up and it helped like get him in the mindset of having these conversations. And then the last thing I'll say is when we were preparing in the prenatal for postpartum, like he knew my hard rule is like, Hey, in the first two weeks, we call it a lying in period. We don't change out of our PJs. We basically stay in bed, eat nourishing foods and like cuddle with our baby and breastfeed. And like, you know, all of those things that are important to me. And I was able to communicate to him how important that was to me. So like to be, you know, Frank, it's like, I didn't change a diaper for the first two weeks, not because I didn't try, but because he knew it was so important to me that he was like, no, like I'm doing that and I'm cooking. And like, even if you're sitting on the couch, you're not folding the clothes. And he just was, I was the one itching to be like, I want to help. I want to help. And he was like, no, you're going to sit and you're going to recover and you're going to take care of the baby or do whatever you want. But like, I'm going to do all of the extra things. And like, just that alone was like the support from him that I needed to know that like I'm being supported. Yeah. It's not the actual act of folding the clothes. It's the support that he's giving you in that specific time and like the being told like no because you know I'm the one that requested this two weeks but I'm the one that's like oh but I want to help I feel bad you're doing everything and he's like no like you sit and you heal and I've got it covered and like just that alone and I've heard a dad you know in passing who's in his like 50s now who was bragging on like 
well, I've still never changed a diaper to this day. And so I always laugh because I'm like, that's funny. I didn't change one for the first two weeks of my baby's life. And they go through a lot of diapers. And um, I'm just, I was so grateful that like his role was that and not to be like the super macho, like I don't do any of that. It was like, I needed that from him and he totally took that role on. I've never understood that that's that macho thing. My brother did the same thing where he was like, I'm not going to, I don't change diapers. And I, I've heard se- more than a handful of guys, which shocked me. They say that I'm not changing any diapers. I'm not doing anything. I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah. And it's, I mean, to each in their own and different things work for different people. But <laughs> like, I needed him to like stand, like, the more masculine thing for him to do, in my opinion, and, like, the more just loving thing for him to do was to do all of the things that he did. And I can totally see how, like, depression and postpartum blues and things like that manifest when you feel like, I'm trying to recover, my body's been through the ringer, but, and so has my mind, like, physically, mentally, emotionally, I am drained, but husband's not only back to work, I don't have help around the house and I don't have help doing this or support doing this. And I don't feel like I have a safe space to have these conversations. And like, those are little things that make the world of difference. Has this like postpartum and like the after, you know, the birth and the whole process of everything, has it been the same in America the whole time? Or did it, has it ramped up due to people's lifestyles of how busy people make themselves and the jobs or whatever you know just society as a whole the way we live now is it ramped up even more is it less I mean what do you see do you mean in like the postpartum period or just in general yeah like just uh just in general all the way around but really like I mean the postpartum comes into it I mean that's that's a stereotype that I think has been around but if there's more postpartum there's going to be more accelerated like cases of that happening and you know examples and more things for other you know men to feed off of and women to feed off of as far as like examples of how their peers handled the situation yeah i mean i definitely think there should be more just open places for like you know i try to i I laugh that we need to do more like birth fit dads things and uh, <laughs> we do we get men on the podcast and things like that on the birth fit podcast because I think if there is more conversation around it in general um we would be in a better place I hear like both sides in the corporate world of like well it's hard to invest in a woman when I know that she's going to have a baby and she's going to be off for this time like I get that you know money makes money changes things But, like, imagine having, like, just for the corporate side alone, like, imagine having a um, woman come back into the working place after feeling, you know, six months or a year of total support and clarity and being able to meet her baby's needs and her needs and coming back into the workspace, like, excited and with no resentment and like in a clear headspace to do really good work versus getting mom back into the business at six weeks when she's fuzzy. She's not even recovered. She feels under like, she's so resentful for being there. Um, like her work production is going to be crap because she doesn't have the juices to, to make the things happen. And so, and then from like, the male point it's like yeah I just don't think like I I hear so much so that the male is like well I just can't really do anything like the mom's breastfeeding and taking care of the baby and so like what am I supposed to do and I just think that like if we talked about the role on what they can do versus looking at it on like I can't do anything it would just change and you know kind of the things that we've just mentioned like there's little things that they can do um that make the world a difference and that could be something as easy as like changing every diaper for two weeks um, or waking up with her in the middle of the night so that she's not by herself or making sure that she's fed and supported. Like, I think there's just so many things that could be a conversation. And even in childbirth education classes that I've, you know, been in on that aren't, I should say that like I've sat in on different variations of childbirth education. And the biggest thing that I see them lacking is conversation about the postpartum period. 
Um, and so it's like we have all this focus on getting the baby here, but no focus on like what it looks like afterwards. Well, it's, it's a scary thing to talk about. Um, and things that scare us, people tend to shy away from or gloss over. If they, if, if, and a lot of times what I find is people, if people don't know things, they're scared to ask things, especially yeah. about fearful, especially about things that, you know, are serious and, and, and fearful in, in themselves. Yeah. And I think just the word postpartum, because it's associated with things like postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, like just feels negative to people in general. Um, and it doesn't have to be like, it's such a beautiful time and yes, it's hard and the emotions are up and down, but it's not a negative thing. Um, it's just, it's perceived that way. Therefore it's not talked about because like it's, nobody wants to go into that territory. No, I mean, and this, this will kind of like lead me into something else that I thought about too is, is, um, you deal with a bunch of like, you also deal with the miscarriage part of things and Mm -hmm. the adoption part of things and, and all these other situations. It's not just necessarily this woman's birthing, but you deal with a lot of struggle with the other things. And miscarriages are something that, uh, I know people really struggle to talk about their, they can be, cause it's a traumatic experience all the way around. Like it's nothing easy. You just, I I can't imagine the connection they have, but then at the same time, I can empathize as well because there is a there's a connection there, and uh, parents are hoping to birth their their first child or another child, and then it's lost. Yeah, and and, and it's not like the baby just disintegrates and goes into nowhere. Mm-mm. I don't think people they don't put that together either. The baby doesn't just disintegrate and just like oh, it just it's just gone. It evaporated. No, there, there's a birth that still happens. Absolutely. And yeah, like within BirthFit, we characterize loss as anything from getting a positive pregnancy test to not holding your baby in your arms afterwards. Um, So that's, you know, at six weeks, that's at six months, or that's at, you know, at birth. And um, we acknowledge, I should say that the the BirthFit website actually has um, an infant loss plan um, that's free linked at the bottom of their website. And it's it's one of those things, it's, it's like an insurance policy, like you hope you never need to use it, but you're happy when it's there. But it goes through questions, and so Rachel Tenpenny created it, and she um, she is on the BirthFit blog as well, but she lost two twin girls, you know, days after they were born. And she basically wrote this infant loss plan from a place of the things that she wished she would have known or had time to make decisions on, Um looking back into it and it's things of like if you're you know burying a baby like what do you want them clothed in um and it's things that like we hope we never ever have to think about but like we also don't want to be surprised by questions that come up in those moments and so there's an actual infant loss plan where like you can actually write down your preferences and in the case that you ever need to use it um you have something to lean back on in times where like you're probably not in the best headspace to just start from scratch. But going beyond that, like I said, with pregnancy, we acknowledge every pregnancy and we say your postpartum, your immediate postpartum is for as long as you are pregnant. So if you are pregnant for eight weeks, we still want to, we still want to take an intentional eight weeks postpartum for healing. Or if you're, you know, pregnant for six months and there's a loss, we want to take six intentional months to heal because the body's still doing all of the things and recognizing this as a pregnancy. Um, and then we do also encourage, um, like you are a mom at any point of a a positive pregnancy test. Like you are a mom and you have that connection with your baby and we want to acknowledge that too. So we also open up our postpartum series and different events like that to any women who have gone through loss and for some that's you know difficult they're not ready for that and for others they just also want to be treated like the mom that they are um and also acknowledge that like they are postpartum as well so yeah it's a really it's a really tough thing but it's not like a loss is a loss and it's it's a life and um it takes a lot of intentional same same thing like mindset and recovery to fully come past that 
Yeah, I, I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, seeing some friends of ours that have gone through it, you know, and people that you know, and um, just down the line, and seeing how I, I always think they're just amazingly strong, resilient individuals um, to keep pushing forward and to handle it the way they do, and to have the mindset that they have, you know, because it, it, and it really does affect them. And I, I really like what you said um, because I didn't think of it that way, but. Um, you're, you know, you're, you take that recovery time as long as you were pregnant because your body is still mm-hmm. acting like it's pregnant. So that, I mean, that's, that's a pretty cool way to look at it. Um, and I imagine that's probably comforting to some people to hear that are going through that maybe don't know, um, yeah. to know that having that time and that it's okay. Cause I didn't even think of it until you said it. Yeah. And in some cases, you know, I've had, later on losses where mom still goes through, like she still gets milk and, you know, is pumping milk to a baby that they don't physically have there for it. That's and, incredible. Um, it's like, we don't think about those things when we, like you said, when we think about loss, but it's like, you know, some of the healing things are being able to donate milk to a mom in need when we're in that situation or, you know, just kind of walking through those waters and understanding that, like your body fully processed this pregnancy. You can and really so do that. Should, you can yeah. donate the the milk to moms in need. Yeah, there's a lot of different milk donation, you know, services. Um, going through a hospital, it has to be pretty rigorously tested. But there's some like milk donors and things like that um, that help facilitate that. Or if you find like your local birth center, typically. Um, they have moms that are in need that need that milk. So I am friends with a girl who um, lost her baby and still produced milk and was able to supply milk to a mom in need. And that was like an extremely healing situation for her. Wow. That's, I mean, that's really cool information to know. I had never heard that before, but it's really fascinating. And I mean, it would seem like that that's a way to feel productive and helpful in that time. Yeah, for sure. And there's there's resources out there, and every state probably is different. Every city's a little bit different, but there's you know um, like milk banks and things like that that will take milk and and distribute it to somebody in need. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, so what do you do on the adoption side? I just want to know real like real quick on the adoption side of things. What what is it that uh, like how do you help people with that process? Yeah. So we actually, and I'm just going to like kind of refer this on the birth fit website, or maybe it's probably through a podcast now, but this year at our annual birth fit summit, we actually had a partner's panel. So we had men on the stage talking about their experience and, um, one of them is going through like a foster to adopt situation right now. Um, and he and his wife, um, talk about the struggles of that and various podcasts and things like that. But ultimately, like we're recognizing that regardless of the way that you become a parent, you are a parent. And so whether you physically birth them or not, like you can still go through with birth fit, like our four pillars, like fitness is still important. Nutrition is still important. Mindset around this is important and connection. Like who is your group? Who are you connected to? Are you connecting to yourself, connecting to, um, this future baby or child of yours, um, connection with the people on your team? Like all of our four pillars still stand regardless. Um, but one resource that I would give is, man, if you, if anyone wants to look into it, just Googling the birth fit partner panel, I think it's also on YouTube, but it's worth watching to just hear some of, um, the experiences and like positives and struggles of being a foster or adopted parent and, you know, comments that you get, or just like this general sense of like, well, you're not really the parent kind of thing <laughs> how to navigate that because there's some really messy, ugly things out there. And, it's hard to navigate. Super, um, super ugly. Like, I mean, even down the line, like how you deal with, uh, um, you know, the the child maybe wanting to find their birth parent or whatever it is. I mean, name the different yeah. types of things that can come up from such a wonderful thing like adoption. Yeah, it's, I mean, 
so I just checked. It's on Vimeo. You can Google Birth Fit Summit Partner Panel. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just think there's a whole world that even I am, you know, learning more and more about. But in general, I think there's some resources out there to help navigate that and to also just, like, a safe space to come and know that, like, others are going through this with you and you are the parent and, like, how how this child came into your life, whether it was through you or an adoption process, um, it doesn't change the fact that, like, your love is what bonds you as the parent. And um, there's a lot of, you know hurdles and things to go through a lot of times, but I think everyone needs just as much of a healing process after the fact. Uh, agreed. I mean, that, that's that's a pretty awesome way to look at it, and I hope somebody listening can find... I'll even put that maybe in the show notes, a tag to that video, Yeah. Um, and that way they can find it real easy. Um, one thing I want to get to for sure before we uh, get done with the podcast, and I don't want to miss it, is... Um, cause I'm curious as to the struggles and like how, how you change a culture, like culturally, how you change people's mindsets into getting into things like, because there was some point in time where being a midwife and a doula was just a regular thing. Like that's what you did, right? Like you could go to either or and it's fine. It's normal. Nowadays, it almost seems like it's more of looked at as like one of those wackadoo holistic approaches to birthing a child. Yeah. Um, and, and how do you switch and change a culture that's been living under this sort of uh, viewpoint of things for so long and the struggles that go along with um, like the kickback that you may get in, in trying to throw out this different view of the way birth should be? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because we talk a lot in BirthFit about like a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And I find, and not in all cases, but I find that it's really tough to not break into, but to just have, you know, I should say open conversations with a lot of the medical world. Um, I find a lot of like fixed mindedness in certain settings. And I think so much is also derived of like, um, like a scarcity mindset, like there's one way to do things, and if you don't do it this way, you're wrong. And um, what we've learned is that, you know, we have the information, and we have, you know, so much to offer, but if someone's not ready to hear it, they're not ready to hear it, and that's okay. But um, what we can do, and like what we try to, because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of misconception with, like, I'm a doula, and I had an out-of-hospital unmedicated birth. So I think that there's this concept, like, this idea that, like, oh, I'm not going to ask her for help because, like, she only does it this way. And if I'm not doing it that way, like, she's not going to want to help me or she's not for me. And, like, our whole stance within BirthFit is, like, there's no one right way to do things. Like, we truly want you to, you know, to gather the information and to do what it takes to make a decision out of love. And so kind of like I mentioned to you earlier is like just understanding and having conversations with people and that like, hey, we want everyone to have a seat at the table, whether they're choosing, you know, a a hospital birth or an out of hospital birth, whether they choose to vaccinate, whether they don't choose to vaccinate, um, whether they, you know, take childbirth education or they don't like there's there's no one right way but the goal is that if everyone is open to information um that they're able to make the best decision for themselves and but it's also you know like I said the reality that like not everyone is and it's also not like it is my calling to spread this information but it's not my responsibility that somebody takes it for themselves um, so yeah, there's a lot of cultural things that we have to break and it's just being willing to sit down and, you know, half glass or glass half empty, right? Like if we always have an empty cup that's willing to be filled up, we'll always learn something. So, um, kind of getting rid of that fixed mindset and just being open to understand that like maybe the way that I was told and thought and believed my whole life, um, 
actually isn't what I align with and I'm going to choose to make a decision that is in alignment with my values and that's wildly different than other people and I'm going to stand firm in that and hoping that, you know, people feel empowered by that versus feeling like they're outnumbered or, um, you know, a bad person because of that. Yeah, like, and to think, and that I think this goes along with a lot of the way people think in general all over about everything from politics to sports teams to whatever it is, they have to pick a side. Yeah. And so if you if you're a doula and you have your kids at home in the bathtub or wherever, mm-hmm. then then you're one of those people that is lumped in with this group of people that they only believe this way. Mm-hmm. There's no way that Leah believes that you can go have a baby at a hospital with a doctor and an epidural. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, from what I'm gathering, that's not the case of what you're you're spreading health and wellness overall. Um, how whatever benefits the mom best, yeah, and, the and how best. how you choose to do that, like that doesn't affect me any. And if I'm your doula, like, and you told me before that you didn't want the epidural, but then you decided to get it, like, I'm not sitting here shaking my head at you. I'm like, heck yeah, <laughs> like you just made this decision, feel empowered with it, like let's go. And I think there's just there's so much focus on you know societal beliefs and what I what I people think I should be doing or like what other people are going to think if I don't and like we really just want to break more into that like what are your values and what aligns with you um and not what your parents put on you and how you were raised but like truly looking more inward and determining like hey if if nothing else mattered besides you know these decisions that I'm making for me myself my family um my future child like what's most important to us and then also, like, if that's different than the group that you're, you know, surrounded by, like, where are areas or outlets that I can go that do make me feel supported or where I can, like, seek information from other individuals that, like, might not be in my inner circle. But mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's being open to having those conversations. And like you said, understanding that, like, like I might be into some hippy-dippy things in one sense, but I might vote a different way in another sense and I might believe you know religiously in this sense and like they don't all have to add up to be like linear um and that makes me me it doesn't make me bad for being different than somebody else and that's kind of my outlook on everyone else yeah it's good to have those it's good to have like if you can find a balance between the hippy dippy things and the other conservative things maybe or if you can find these little balances in life of the way you believe um, I think that's a really good thing to even keep yourself in check. I've noticed that as I get older, like I start, you know, figuring out what I like and and what I want to do and that sort of thing. But it's actually really tough. And I just listening to you talk and hearing like how they've got a voice, even as far back in the conversation as, um, you know, deciding the people, their team that they want for their postpartum team and all that sort of thing. Um, they may not know exactly who is best and they may not want to say it out loud they may not be able to figure it out because finding out what you really like is and what you really want what you truly believe is a really tough thing to do and sometimes that means you just have to start the process i think and start talking about it like oh this is what i would like and then you realize maybe oh that's not what i really like but i'm figuring it out now because you opened your mouth and you said it out loud Yeah. I mean, it takes some work. (laughs) And, um, like I always say like you have the birth that you were meant to have. And I'm a full believer that birth makes you like, it makes you do some work and you might come out (laughs) on the other side being like, I didn't plan for that. That was traumatic. That was, you know, like, I can't believe that happened. And then six months or six years down the line, you're like, man, that's exactly what I needed because this is what showed up for me through that. And so I think this whole process, I mean, I think in life we're all doing work because we all have our, we all have our things, but I think so much of like this motherhood and parenthood transition is about doing work to become a little bit more clear on our values because now it just isn't affecting us. It's affecting our families and our children. And like, that's a big call to action. Yeah, well, Leah, this has been an absolutely fantastic. I ha- I've enjoyed this conversation. I could probably keep this going forever. 
there's so much. Um, yeah, there is really a lot of stuff. I don't even think I covered all the things in my head that uh, I wanted to cover. And if I didn't have to go pick up kids myself, I would probably still want to be talking here and like like going through the whole process. I really enjoyed it. Um, you really like kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different things and the way I thought about you know the whole process. And then uh, you know. I always look at things like maybe some point down the line, like learning things from other people, I can maybe pass that on and help somebody else in a time of need. Like go back yeah. to it in the memory bank. So conversation, I think, are so important with people like figuring out where they're coming from, especially from someone who knows so much about a subject that I know very little about. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, I if you ever want to do part two and go down a rabbit hole of anything else, like I said, um, I'm always available, but there's there's so much to cover, and I think this just scratches the surface. But hopefully, it it allows people to think a little bit further for themselves, whether it's in this parenthood process or it's supporting someone who's going through it. I would love to do part two, and I'm definitely going to put everything, um, the birth fit stuff. Uh, you can let everybody know where to contact you and how to get a hold of you, and I'll put it all in the show notes or as much as I can, so people can just click and find you. Yeah, um, just to keep it easy, you can always reach out to Leah at birthfit.com or Instagram Leah underscore Bartow. Um, but yeah, I'll give you all my information. You can tag it. And um, if you know we get a lot of questions or different things, we can always dive deeper. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Leah. I really appreciate it. Um, and I look forward to maybe setting up part two in the very near future. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. All right.